Hey, kia ora listeners. Uh, I know you've been waiting a while, but we're back. Welcome to the podcast, Is This For Credit? Uh, I'm Peter Jury, and joining me, as always, is... Kia ora, Luke McFarlane. And... And we're lucky enough to have a special guest this week. We've got Tracy Greenwood, who does amazing things at National Library. Kia ora, Tracy. Kia ora. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us, Tracy. <laughs> uh, um, you're our first actual real-life guest. So oh, privilege. Honest right? for us to have you here. <laughs> thank you. Incredibly for, grateful. Uh, for the multitudes of listeners out there, Tracy, uh, where are you joining us from at this moment? Uh, Tamaki Makoto, uh, Miraitai to be precise. So just across from Langatoto. Awesome. And what's your mahi up there, Tracy? What do you do? Um, so my official role is a senior specialist in developing readers, which is uh, quite a mouthful. Um, and I work for the um, National Library Services to school. That sounds a really important role. Right? <laughs> yeah, probably, the title is probably more important than no. <laughs> um, so how did you land there, Tracy? What, what were you doing before? Is that before what that? you've done or? Yeah, um, so background is 20 plus years um, teaching and well, uh, 16 of that is in New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and four of those were over in England. Um, I started in the primary sector and um, was really enjoying that and then got a phone call over the summer holidays from my principal who said, hey, we think you'd be a great new entrant teacher. And I went, hey, don't think so, but I'll give it a go. Um, and I lasted a term and then I jumped ship to... Um, secondary school and at Manirewa High School and they had um, kind of like a, a, a setup where some of the students who'd had um, quite a bit of absences due to um, health and family issues and things like that it was set up quite similar to a primary school classroom so they wanted primary trained teachers there um, so I worked in that area for a couple of years really loved it and found that I loved that age. And so I went back and retrained as well and um, went out and did, was in the English department, drama department, sometimes um, was in the social studies department if they needed it to, to fill my timetable. Um, and the rest is history. Love it. Love secondary school. Love, love those kids, even though I know they get a bad rap. And somehow I always seem to end up with year 10s who... We all know how lovely year 10s are. Um, so, yeah, I deemed with year 10s and things like that. But spent most of my time teaching in South Auckland, in schools in South Auckland. Was very fortunate to be a foundation staff member at Ormiston Junior College. Um, and then a couple of years ago now, my husband got a DP role down in Whakatane. So we moved our family down there. Just on a side note, we'd been planning to go international teaching and somehow we ended up in Whakatane, but uh, that, that's how we roll. <laughs> um, and, and loved it down there, really loved it down there, but unfortunately some stuff was happening with my family up here in Tamaki Makoto and we realised that that kind of circle of life and time in our life was now when our family needed us the most and so we ended up moving back home, back up to Tamaki Makoto. So... Saw the job in the library. It was halfway through a school year. Wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to find a brand new job again halfway through a year teaching. So threw my hat in the ring. Honestly, didn't think I'd get the job. 
was quite surprised when I got it and have been on such a steep learning curve, but absolutely loved it. And I love the fact that it's still related to education, so I'm not quite out of it. No, that's good. I know, Tracy, all, all the teachers listening in are jealous straight away because you're one of those people who's managed to find a job that's not teaching in the middle of a year. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm extremely fortunate and I do am very, very aware of how lucky I am, especially with everything that's going on in education at the moment. You know, I just, I take my hat off to you all because I was getting to that point of 20 plus years where I was starting to, you know, I'd never, ever thought there'd be another job that I would want to do, but I was seriously starting to question it. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kudos to you all. I'll, I'll end up back there. I do, because even at the library, and I absolutely love this job, but I do miss the creative side of teaching, and I do miss um, the students and the staff, the collegiality, not so much the paperwork and the admin and things like that, but, yeah. Uh, well, look, all our listeners in Fakatani and Tamaki Makoto will be uh, happy that <laughs> a fresh voice on there from those uh, different rohe. Yeah, rather than just old ex fielding and ex Thames over here, so <laughs> fairly limited <laughs> population. <laughs> so great to have you here, Tracy. Um, Thank you so much. Um, earlier this year, you spoke at a uh, national English teachers conference. Yeah, I wasn't there. I know Luke was. What did you talk about? <laughs> oh, this this could go on forever. <laughs> um, so I guess the. The premise behind it was engaging teen readers because uh, we do know, we're all probably very aware as English teachers that this it's not necessarily a priority for a majority of our learners. Um, and but vitally, vitally important, not just for, you know, the academic side of things um, in terms of literacy and that, but actually for their well-being, social and emotional well-being. Um, and just the long-term effects that um, getting into the habit of being a reader and reading for pleasure, it's just so important. And so that was kind of the essence. Um, I talked to some of the most recent or some recent research out that was, you know, both international and national, just um, really, I suppose, to give teachers that element of um proof I suppose not not for them because they're all believers but if they're trying to um, you know bring it to senior leadership or bring it even to their department and try and bring other teachers on board with it um, I think sometimes you need that stuff in the background to say hey look this is what is out there and this is what is being said I'm this is not just some crazy thing that I'm trying to push you know there's there's evidence to back it up so yeah, and I just, well, hopefully I provided as well some practical examples and um, starting points for people to realise that it's not this huge massive thing and that we hopefully can get more kids reading for pleasure if we just try and build it into more of a culture within our schools. Yeah, well, and, 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 and really important, it can't just be those English teachers. You know, it has to be a school-wide thing. It, yeah. It's a good one for all our um Teachers out there who aren't English teachers who listen to English mm -hmm. podcasts. <laughs> as they should. As they should. For all of our maths, whānau and physicists out there who have tuned in. <laughs> I hope you were listening then. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing that you said at um, conference that really stood out to me, Tracy, was you're talking about this uh, expired expectation and orphan responsibility. Yeah. That sits there with the, the 
significant drop off with year tens. Jesus, around that age. There's some creativity in that quote, Tracy. You're saying oh. creativity. I <laughs> wish. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I wish. I wish I could take credit for that, but that's not me at all. Um, so I'm giving you a, credit for it. Don't worry about the rest. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I get strung up, uh, um, <laughs> um, there's there's an Australian researcher, Margaret Merger, and she's. Um, She's a lecturer and she works with a lot of um, schools over in Australia and librarians um, specifically to try and boost this whole reading for pleasure uh, element. And yeah, so a lot of her research has talked about, so there's, there's this research that talks about a decline by nine. So a lot of our kids by nine years old uh, are stepping back and losing interest in reading and they just don't see it as, um, as there being a point to it. But then the worst thing is up in, you know, secondary with our early adolescence, our year nines and our year tens specifically. Um, it's what she calls um, expired expectations is where she's talking about because these are kids now that we know can read, there's not that expectation on them to read. Mm -hmm. um, and then so that links to this idea of orphaned responsibility. Now that nobody else is kind of supporting them and promoting it and advocating for it, um, it becomes the responsibility of the child themselves. And if we're being completely honest, they're not going to do it. And so, yeah, so it's a fantastic um, phrase that she has. And I think it just sums, sums it up how important it is for us. There's also... Um, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher are quite renowned over in America for their work around this. And they have just this catchphrase that they often throw out with, especially with this age group, that if they're not reading with us, they're not reading. And so it's that idea that we really have to try and find some space within our school day to provide the time and the space and the environments um, to make sure that our, our learners our akonga are getting a chance to read and read what they want, not always stuff that, you know, we're forcing them to read for credits or or whatever it is. Oh, um, please don't hit me with a grammar question. That's <laughs> right. You're smarter than an eight-year-old. There we go. No, 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 no. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you, you've got these um, young adults that are buying into gaming. Mm. So uh, if I'm a 14, 15-year-old uh, young fella, yeah. what's what's... What's going to force them, not force them, but turn them off that game and into a book? Why would they um, choose to get into this book rather than jump on their game? Yeah, and and um, hand on heart, probably nothing because I've got a 15-year-old at home boy that I'm having the same discussions with at the moment, um, yes. which is why um, I think you know, as, as teachers at school where we're not battling that element, that's why we need to provide that space at school um, for their well-being and stuff like that. But it comes down to, I guess, like in anything in education where it's building that relationship with them, trying to figure out, you know, what is a way that we can um, buy, we can get their buy-in for it. And even if it is only at school that they're um, starting to read for pleasure, if they start to build that habit at school, it may not be something that they're choosing to do in their downtime at home, but possibly later on in life, it might be um, a habit or something that they pick up again because um, it is a space, a well-being space for them, a self-care space for them. Uh, like I say, my 15-year-old, he was an avid reader and, and always had been up until probably the last couple of years, now 100% gaming 
programming will always be his go-to. I have to, at home, as a mum and his dad as well, will, you know, cut him off at a certain time and I say to him, oh, what are you reading at the moment? And I keep putting books in front of him and working at the National Library, I mean, I've got access to over half a million books there so I can pick and choose what I think he would really love and he does in that moment in time he will pick that up he'll sit down and he'll read it and he'll talk to me about it he's really into those like conspiracy stuff and um and war and you know that kind of but we'll still read fiction around that kind of thing as well but it's not something he chooses to do it's something that I have to really you know like you say, force or encourage or give him no other option that that's the only thing, you know, left to do. And 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 as a reader and as an English teacher as well, that kills me slightly inside. But I know, well, I'm hoping that I'm building these habits that, you know, he possibly will come back to that. Um, and I just keep on keeping on hoping that I'll find that book that, you know, that will have him engaged for a week maybe, if that Sorry, sorry, there's no magic answer to that. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You did better than me anyway. I (laughs) hear you completely, Tracy. I I always have one recollection of a boy who who sprung out just a a nice surprise for me, and and it was uh, The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. This is actually before the films came out. Uh, The boy from memory was a skater, uh, gaming, outdoorsy, hated reading. Yeah. Then told me how much he loved reading The Hunger Games. And this is in year 11, so I'm, I've worked out he must have read it in maybe year 9 or possibly mm. immediate, but he said how much he loved it and that he'd hoped we'd be reading it again. Oh, cool. And it was at that time, I didn't, the film hadn't come out, so I knew nothing about it. Yeah. But I thought I remembered hearing something that the way that book was written, and I don't know if this is a bit of a, a, bit of a ham up or not, but the short, punchy sentences, for example, make it easier to engage. Yeah. What, any insight into that? Um, well, I mean, often we recommend um, books like that are published from um, Orca Publishing or Barrington Stoke. They originally came out because um, they produce books that um, are pitched for, you know, neurodivergent students or dis- students with dyslexia and things like that. And it's because they do have short chapters, short sentences, but not short sentences to the detriment of flow of reading and... and um, the creative side of, of it, it's still, you know, you still get engaged and things like that. Um, I th- Do you know what? I think anything you can do to um, get them engaged in it, like graphic novels are a huge thing. And I think a lot of teachers still poo-poo them as not being, you know, valuable or valid reading material. They're fantastic. And there's some real deep, you know, messages and themes in graphic novels. And then, um, I've had some success with like verse novels for boys because even though they don't want to like, oh yeah, I'm reading something that's kind of poetry based, it's almost like they forget that that it's a verse because it flows so well, but it's short and it doesn't take up the whole page and there's heaps of white space. And, you know, so there's something to be said, I think, for trying to make texts um, more accessible. Mm-hmm. For, for students and I vaguely remember reading and I can't remember how long ago it was about publishers talking about you know now there's too many YA books out there that are just too big and that in a sense is a turnoff for kids they just will not pick it up because they're too thick and it's how do we still keep 
you know, quality literature in front of our students so that we're not dumbing it down, so that we're not, you know, just using short stories all the time with our kids, so that they are, um, you know, getting into that flow of a, a, a novel that, you know, takes some time and energy. Um, but for a lot of our kids, we can't throw that at them straight away. They need, you know, to be, I suppose, like breadcrumb, you know, get that trail out, get the stuff that they really enjoy. And I think, you know, like... Um, Jason Reynolds and Kwame Alexander are great examples of the types of books that that get a lot of those boys especially into reading because it'll go from either verse novels and then they've been brought into graphic novels and then from there they realize actually I can I can um, attack some of those those heavier ones but again it comes down to like say relationships and knowing the kids and just being able to try and find the right book at the right time as well you know and, and it's an ongoing thing, as is most things in, in classes and education, you know. It's like three steps forward and ten steps back some days. Um, but I also think, like, real um, diversity in, in books as well and just making sure that you've got a lot of engaging um, books. You know, Porangi Boy was so important for some of my boys down in Whakatane. Um, they needed that voice and they needed those kind of things. And I had Tama Samoa for some of my kids um, when I was teaching at Manirewa High School. You know, they need to see themselves in texts as well. It's that whole mirror, sliding glass doors, windows, mirror, sliding glass doors stuff as well. Yeah, I think I went slightly off track. Sorry. <laughs> you were in the right place for that. So that <laughs> Welcome home. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> No, not at all. Um, what about, um, what are your thoughts, Tracy, around, um, well, my example of this is, um, so students doing a speech, for example, mm. use, their notes are on the phone, they write it on the phone. Yeah. Um, and by the same token, I know a number of students will read on their phone, and, and I don't mean the classroom situation where they tell you they're reading in the... yeah. yeah. Find something else, play the game or, or whatever. But but that idea of reading online, I guess, is my question for you around what's your it's not a physical book. Yeah. Um, is it what what's your thoughts on that, I guess, in terms of engaging readers? Is that um is it a bit of a smoke screen or what do you reckon? I think yes and no. I re I think it really depends on um you and your relationships with your kids and what your what your school feels is essential. I know for some of the kids, it was the only way I could get them into books. For some of them, they needed they needed the sense of security of it being on their iPad or on their phone because then people couldn't see what books they were reading. Um, I'm talking here, you know, reading for pleasure stuff. So they couldn't see, their friends couldn't see if they were reading an easy book or, you know, or a romance, if it was a boy, God forbid, you know. So that gave them a little bit of a, a sense of security. I have to admit, I love, um, I love physical books, but I always have a book on the go on my phone, either via the Libby app or, uh, you know, um, uh, the e-Kindle stuff on my phone because I just find it useful, you know, if I'm out and about and I've got, a car, you know, 10, 15 minutes to kill, I, I pull up my book on that. Readings, reading, that's me personally. I know other people feel very differently about it and in a utopian world and in, you know, 
in my classroom, I would love to have all kids have a physical book at all times, you know, and be reading. If it's the battle between are they reading at all, um, then I will take that book on on their iPad or on their their phone versus them not having a book with them. But that's just me personally, and I know lots of other people will feel differently and completely understand that as well. With um, Timotaiho and the, or the curriculum refresh, mm. it's all focused around developing reading for pleasure. And yeah. you came out with a couple of great activities throughout the workshop, that, that ball of string and the, um, that book advocate sort of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as teachers around the Motu trying to engage these readers, do you know of a, like a, a database, and a national bank of quickfire reading activities that teachers can access and be like, hey, I'm going to give this a go today because I've got a couple of young fellows that aren't that into it. Hey, I'm going to give this a nudge and see if they buy into it. Um, Shameless plug for the National Library. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, On on our Services to School website, we do have um, a lot of reading engagement pages and and that is actually part of my role within the National Library is um, updating and refreshing some of those pages. Not just me personally by myself, but with a a team of us and we're constantly putting on resources and, and, and things that we can add into there. Um, we've just come out with an actual physical booklet, but it's also a PDF online with um, elements that that we think are really important if teachers are wanting to create readers. Um, and so it, it's talking about things like reading identity, reading aloud, yeah, independent reading and stuff like that. And, and within those, there are some examples of practice. Um, it killed me slightly because we had we have the most amazing staff at the National Library and the facilitators and librarians had come up with, like you say, lists that could have been made into databases of, of the way that teachers could work. But within a brochure, we were like told, no, it's you can only have five to eight or whatever and it's like oh which five to eight um but that's a really that's a fantastic idea and it actually might be something that I take back because we're looking at the moment at how can we bring children's literature to life for teachers and actually a database or of some sort of those kind of activities might be a great place for us to start and to support teachers out there in essence, the messages for, from us is that, you know, um, reading for pleasure doesn't have to be massive things that you have to put a whole lot of effort and energy and resource creation and things like that. Um, it can start small and simple. And and once you build that culture within your class, it should become something that the kids are, you know, driving, or students, sorry, are driving themselves as well. But to answer your question, no, there's no one place that I know of that will, will have everything and anything, but that is definitely something I'm going to take back to the team and was like, well, that might be a good starting point for us. But definitely um, that our our website is great, and I know it's a shameless plug, but... No, plug it, go away. What is, <laughs> we do, we have such fantastic staff, um, and and I think that what... What is so great about about the National Library is that it, it is a complete entity. It's a trusted support to try and create efficiencies for teachers. It has digital, it has print resources, um, it has knowledge, expertise, it has links to research and stuff like that. And it is a neutral kind of anchor and conveyor of networks and collaboration. We link out to other places and research and websites and, you know, because we are not 
competing against any organisation because we are a government um, organisation. We are that neutral party. And so, um, and, and it's funny because as a teacher for 20-something years, I didn't, and, and it's hard to admit, but I applied for this job and was extremely honest with them and thought and said to them, I didn't even know you guys existed anymore, you know, and in hindsight, that is, there is so much stuff on there that I wish, you know, like I used to do Socratic seminars in my English class. There is stuff on, on the website that I could have taken, you know, not used exactly as it is, but taken as a starting point that would have helped me that I wouldn't have had to create from scratch. You know, there's questions we have book and beyond stuff on there um, which is linked to the Auckland Writers Festival but it's also a template there that you could use with your students to start unpacking and analyzing and if not using it for that side for the reading engagement side of it is just how do we enjoy books and how do we chat about books and things like that so yeah like I said shameless plug but it is an absolutely fantastic website and staff are there and they can come out to schools and they support and they're just desperate to get out and support um, and I just think more teachers need to know about it. And I really, like I say, had I known, I would have used a lot more of their stuff. Well, perfect. Because I think we've got three guaranteed listeners. So this <laughs> is from this chat this evening. Here we go. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, hey, Tracy, one uh, question for me. So other than going onto the website, and yeah. you've got a lot of curated options there. Mm -hmm. If I'm an English teacher in Kurunui, down in the bottom of the Wadarapa there, yeah. And I'm trying to think of different ways I can try and engage my students in reading. Yeah. Um, have you got any left field ideas or something a bit different that you've come across in your work? Something really cool that's, um, you know. Just one thing? Yeah, or one thing. Well, it's just one thing. Something this, so English teachers, I know it's, it's, it's for the last 20 or so years, it's been a battle to engage students in reading. Yeah. And so, um, hey, we've got the library service. We've got all a lot of really good ideas always come through. Mm -hmm. Something else you've got in there that you've come across that was maybe really novel or really, and no pun intended there, but novel. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> if you come across something, you thought, man. You know, it's bad there. when you've got to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I like to do. <laughs> explain my jokes. <laughs> um, you just operate at a higher <laughs> level. <laughs> Have you got something? <laughs> What's a really random way that's engaging kids in reading? Oh, that, that, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? One thing that we've heard and in some schools have really noticed is, you know, um, social media as advisory. So as much as we hate and social media sometimes bringing it into, into classrooms and stuff, things like BookTok and book, Bookstagram, um, all of those influences, the, you know, the YouTube influences, how we bring, you know, finding stuff out about them and what books they enjoy and what books they read. I often used to have just clips attached to like my Google classrooms that I would bring up every now and again. Um, novel? Yeah, so you're saying we hack what is their it? social media? Yeah, why not? <laughs> just stalk them. Um, yeah, Instagram. So within Instagram, it's like a its own little kind of community, and they they chat, you know, or or recommend books and things like that. So I would often just pull, you know, you could download them and copy them into your Google Classrooms, and they're like they were like I know on TikTok, it's you know, it was thirty seconds, love this book, why I loved it, kind of thing. You should be reading this. Um, 
Yeah, um, some of the other ways, like really random ways, we're like, we used to ask visitors that were coming to school that were speaking about stuff, you know, they're there to present certain things. We'd ask them to start their talk or finish their talk with what they're reading at the moment. So students could actually see that, you know, reading is a lifelong thing and something that that people enjoy. Um, not just teachers talking about not, it. Yeah, exactly. read. <laughs> yeah, actual people do read and not just librarians and, and English teachers. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff. It's how do we how how do we make it cool? Which is such a horrible word as well, because that's not cool in their lingo. I don't even I've been out too long now. Like what's the word nowadays? Ask your 15 year old son. He'll go yeah. <laughs> he doesn't talk to me, so you know. <laughs> he can text you. <laughs> so I guess um I don't know, like when you have those students with whom it's a battle to kind of, you know, even engage in finding out what books they might like and, and asking them to choose a book to read is like massively beyond painful. Um, one of the things that I'd highly recommend is reading aloud. And um, what I mean by that is not the class text that you guys are reading, but, you know, a range of different texts that might hook them into a book. Um, so, for example, sometimes I would read a whole novel for a term. Um, sometimes it would be novels until I came, came to like a cliffhanger and then I'd switch books, which would really annoy the kids. But then I'd be like, oh, go and get it from the library. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Um, sometimes I would read sophisticated picture books because I'm a firm believer that you should use picture books in secondary school classrooms and you kind of need to get over that... Um, like the kids kind of poo-pooing the idea of picture books. Um, sometimes it'd be poetry, articles, I'd play podcasts, YouTube clips of spoken word and TED Talks. Like the whole point of that is kind of building that literature-rich environment. And I think if you do that, it slowly becomes easier to kind of gauge student interest and start to engage them um, and then start, you know, begin scheduling in those times for them to read independently chosen texts. Um, and again, if there happens to be a picture book or a book that you deem too easy, well, who cares? I guess it's that point of reading for pleasure that you're wanting them to get to. So does it matter what they're reading if they've chosen it themselves, they're engaged in it and they're reading it? Like, like who cares? Awesome. A uh, little little um, uh, fun fact here, Tracy. Do you know, are you a Michael Jackson fan? Pre, uh, pre the way it finished up. <laughs> I'm like, how do I answer this? <laughs> you don't have to. Well, yeah. Whether you're a fan or not. Do you know what his um, most misquoted song is? No. Oh, no. A Liberian girl, yeah. Because everyone always thought it was librarian girl, and that it was about a girl who worked in the library, but the title, the song title, is actually librarian girl. Librarian from Liberia, so you can go to work tomorrow and tell everyone. So well, I'm going to fact check that before I do. No, no, we're spreading misinformation. Now you're working there. You think what? It's six degrees of separation here, so there we go. Be, uh, you eat boom when you're at Mahi tomorrow and mispronounce it. Oh, no, uh, cool. Hey, Tracy, we really appreciate your time uh, joining us here today and the Mahi you do. And it is, um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know, it's mm. got a 
like you say, it's a great job, but man, it's a tough gig as well because we want yeah. to of engaging young people in reading. Yeah. Um, and then no one has the answers. So no. And I think I have to say as well, like here's me spouting off all this research and all these ideas and stuff like that. If you'd walked into my classroom there's never 100% of the time that my class, you know, showed a true, honest reading culture, you know, all the time and or a writing culture or an, or were 100% engaged. So please don't think that I'm standing here on my high horse saying, if you just did, <laughs> if you just did these things that would, you know, change the world, um, because I do know how tough it is. But I think as with lots of things in, in teaching, it's just you, you've just got to keep trying and something works one day and it doesn't work the next day and you've just got to have the guts I guess to to go home and get frustrated about it and then turn up the next day and either try it again or try it with a tweak and so yeah please know that I'm not standing here saying do it this way and it'll be perfect because I completely understand that's not reality but honesty yeah, but, but you know, the National Library is here and there are some fantastic resources on and if they can help, you know, make your job just a little bit easier, then that's 100% what we would love to be able to do. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for, um, first of all, being willing to talk to two chumps. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it's been vaguely interesting for our listeners. Um, yeah, I hope I haven't waffled too much. Sorry. Questions, just listen to your banter. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me, though. I do have, um, I know you'd mentioned about um, ways or key places that teachers could go in terms of Mataranga Māori and things like that. Um, I do have, you know, some links or stuff that, that might be good starting points. Links in here somewhere. Or, or if you're listening, uh, jump on your Google machine. Yeah. yeah. National Library. Yeah. And then just follow the links. Yeah, services to school though. The National Library, because we're under the National Library website, um, it can be a bit um, convoluted to follow. Um, but yeah, if you type in services to school, that'll bring up our stuff. So, is, yeah. is the Dewey Decimal still in action? It is. It is. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but to be fair, a lot of librarians are genrefying nonfiction nowadays um, to make it easier for their students to access and, and understand. But yeah, it is still a it is still a thing. Oh, well, Julie would be happy. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> awesome. Oh, it was awesome. Thank you so much for having yeah. me, though. Hey, that was really cool, Tracy. Thank you. <laughs>